In June of 1990, a woman threw a party at the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston. The woman and her fiancé had visited the hotel some weeks prior to plan their wedding banquet. The price tag, $13,000, with half required as, down, as a down payment. A few days later, however, the groom got cold feet and called off the wedding. When the former bride-to-be was told she could only get 10% back, she decided to go ahead with the banquet, not for her wedding, but as a blowout for the down and outs of Boston. See, 10 years before, she had been living in a homeless shelter. Now she had the means to bless the homeless. So she sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. And the night of the party, those used to peeling bits of pizza off cardboard for dinner were treated to hors d'oeuvres, chicken cordon bleu, and chocolate wedding cake as they danced the night away. In this session, we will see David, who has been given rest from his enemies, turn his attention to the internal affairs of his kingdom. We will see David make good on a promise by extending kindness to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And in this account, we will see a picture of a greater act of kindness from a greater king, God adopting us into his family through faith in Jesus and giving us a place at his table. Our first point is the king looks for someone to whom he may show kindness. The king looks for someone to whom he may show kindness. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, we read of all the victories that David accomplished for Israel. The Lord gave him victory wherever he went and continued to establish his reign and kingdom. Here, at the height of his power, David turned his attention toward getting the affairs of his house in order. First up was to make good on a promise to bless the house of Saul. Read with me 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1-5. through 5. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the, day, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mecher, the son of Amiel and Lodebar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mecher, the son of Amiel at Lodebar. The king of Israel, powerful, victorious, and blessed by God, was looking for ways to bless and extend kindness to another, to someone from his former rival's family. In that day, it was customary for a new king to wipe out the former king's family, to reduce the threat of a coup or revenge assassination, not to show them kindness. In this, we see the depth of David's character and trust in God. Deep down, he wanted to do good. He wanted to keep his word to bless the house of Saul and to honor his friend Jonathan. Years before, David had promised Jonathan and Saul that he would not cut off their family's descendants, but that he would show them kindness instead. Like David, Christians should be compelled to seek out ways to do good to others around them. Jesus Christ did not redeem us merely to respond to opportunities to do good. He wants us to be eager and zealous to do good. 
He wants us to be proactive, not reactive in our quest to show others good in light of how we have been shown goodness by God. We are called to outdo one another in showing honor. We are commanded to count others' needs above our own. In other words, we should wake up and ask ourselves, whom can I do good for today? Who needs grace and kindness from me? How can I love others and count their interests as more important than mine? Where are some places Christians can intentionally seek out opportunities to do good for others? Maybe it's at home or at work or at church or in the community or on the internet or on social media or the streets or at the bus stop or the grocery store, at the gas station or at a restaurant. See, David sent for Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who was lame in both feet. Without regard for the harm or benefit to his kingdom, David planned to show kindness to the grandson of his former enemy, and that kindness would be purely one-sided. David was going to bless and extend kindness to Mephibosheth with no conditions, and there was no way Mephibosheth could repay him. David could gain nothing politically, militarily, or socially by doing anything for the family of his former enemy, Saul. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, it's clear that David had all that he needed. He did not need any social capital, nor was this a publicity stunt to gain the approval of the people of the city. Everyone was already in awe of David, and Mephibosheth could not further his standing in any way because he was lame in both feet. Christians are called to love others sincerely from a pure heart. We should labor to keep our motives in check and frequently ask why we are seeking to do good to others. What is my true motivation? This is what Jesus meant by not practicing our righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. When we put on a show for people, we get exactly what we want, the applause of people. Yet in doing so, we miss the applause of God. David shows us a way forward. He planned to do good for Mephibosheth without expecting anything in return. May we follow his example as we look for opportunities to extend kindness to others in need, especially those who cannot pay us back. You know, a common, misunderstanding, or a common understanding during David's day was that when someone had an ailment or sickness, it was usually brought on by that person or their parents' sin. We see examples of this in the way Job's friends responded to his suffering and how in, in how the disciples viewed the man born blind from birth. Even though Mephibosheth's ailment wasn't his fault, there is no question that he would have been perceived as an inferior person. From God's perspective, however, being lame or disabled in some way does not detract from one's humanity and worth nor does it disqualify from contributing in this world. Every person is an image bearer of God, valuable in God's sight, and with purpose in God's plan. What are wrong, what wrong motives might guide our good deeds? Maybe it's guilt and shame, or personal profit and benefit, or the applause of our peers, or the applause of those we would serve. Maybe just following the crowd, or fear of judgment from God and from others, or Maybe the pride in, of position and ability over others. Our second point is the king restores a lost estate. The king restores a lost estate. Read with me 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 6-10. through 10. 
And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. David could have chosen a few servants to go to Mephibosheth and share how the king was going to show him kindness. David did not have to talk to Jonathan's son face to face. See, no one would have thought less of the king had he merely sent messengers. Any act of kindness to the former king's line would have been viewed as an exceptional act of grace itself. But David chose to have Mephibosheth brought to him so he could announce to him personally how he was going to show him kindness. Listen to this quote. Love through me, love of God, make me like thy clear air through which unhindered colors pass as though it were not there. Powers of the love of God, depths of the heart divine, O love that faileth not, break forth and flood this world of thine. This is the way of God's kingdom. While God certainly sent messengers in the form of angels and prophets to his people in the past, the expectation and hope was that God himself would meet with his people personally to deliver them. That is exactly what God did when he sent his son to dwell among us and rescue us from our sin. To Mephibosheth, the grandson of an enemy, David restored Saul's estate and provided for its care. But even more astonishing, David gave Mephibosheth a permanent seat in which to dine at the table with the king. Mephibosheth surely approached King David with some fear of his life and he considered himself a dead dog in his presence. But now he was the master of an estate and honored as royalty in the palace. Is there a better picture of grace? A dead dog. I mean, dogs are not spoke of positively in Scripture. So Mephibosheth identifying himself as a dead dog reveals that he felt as though he were nothing in the presence of David. He had come before David in absolute humility. Perhaps these words resonated with David, for he too used this precise phrase to describe himself when he was on the run from Saul. In Saul's presence, David felt weak and useless, exactly how Mephibosheth felt in this moment. Christians too can feel like a dead dog before others, and even God. But whereas Saul stood over David seeking to take his life, David stooped down to Mephibosheth, seeking to give him a new life. This was how the true king of Israel was meant to behave, blessing, defending, and protecting his people. God's grace bestows dignity. 
And this is the, the nature of God's kingdom. Mephibosheth came before David in humility with nothing to offer. And David elevated him to a master and royalty such that he ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. This recalls the parable of, of the prodigal son, which shows us a picture of God's heart for our salvation. You know, after squandering his inheritance, the prodigal son returns home with a plan to work as a hired hand for his father. But when he approached the house, the father ran to his humbled son, escorted him home, and threw a party for his son, who was lost but now found. This is what God does for us through the gospel. He takes undeserving sinners and elevates them to children of the king. This is the upside-down nature of God's grace. How does this passage reveal the upside-down nature of God's grace in the gospel? Well, we come to Jesus weak and poor in our sin, through no contribution of our own and only by faith. Jesus takes his enemies and transforms them into brothers and sisters, co-heirs of the promises of God. God takes those who cannot provide for their own salvation and provides for their eternal salvation at his own expense. Our last point is the king provides a seat of honor at his table. The king provides a seat of honor at his table. Read with me 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. For as long as David was king, Mephibosheth would always have access to him and reap all the benefits of being at the royal table. There was no higher honor to anyone living in Israel could have received. David, a powerful king in the world, treated this outsider, the grandson of his enemy, as one of his own sons. We have to remember that Mephibosheth did nothing to earn or deserve this blessing. He received all the benefits that David's sons received solely by an act of the king's grace. Again, this is a picture of God's grace in the gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have been adopted into God's family. We are now God's sons and daughters and given full rights and privileges as his children. And the Father sees us the same way he sees his one and only son, Jesus. Just like Mephibosheth, there is nothing that we did to earn or merit this blessing. We were dead in our sins, straying from God and enemies in God's sight. But God, in His great grace, reached down and lifted us up and seated us at His table. Well, this is how the gospel is radically different from any other worldview or religion, which says we must earn a deity's attention and favor. In the gospel, we can do nothing to make God love us or want to accept us. Instead, he welcomes us into his table, not because of what we can do or have done, but because of what Christ alone has done for us. This is why Paul calls us to praise the glory of his grace. Listen to this essential doctrine, adoption. Adoption into God's family is one of the positive benefits of justification. 
Not only are we pardoned from the judgment against us through justification, but we also experience a change of identity. We become children of God. Through adoption, our relationship with God, which was once lost through the fall, is now restored, resulting in the benefits of being an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. As we consider our adoption by grace through faith into Christ's family, some might struggle with doubt that God is for us as His children. You know, we may feel the need to earn our keep, as if God were not pleased with us as we are. Others may feel a a half-hearted duty to obey the Father, and still others may rationalize open rebellion against Him. You know, while how we live certainly matters, and there is room for growth in all of us, we can be assured that because of Christ, God already accepts us in full and that He is working for us. The more we understand and trust what Christ accomplished for us on the cross, the more we will be motivated to rejoice, to obey, and to submit whatever our Father desires of us. And being sons and daughters of God, He faithfully pursues us, sanctifies us, and works all things in our lives for His glory and our good. No matter what comes, we can be certain that God is committed to our joy and well-being and to His glory being declared through our faithful lives. By adoption, believers are welcome to dine at the Father's table. Christians enjoy full access to fellowship with God, symbolized now in part through the Lord's Supper. But there is still more to come. At present, we remain in a fallen world that is under the curse of sin. But one day, the curse will be lifted at our King's second coming, and then we will dine forever with one another at His table. At the end of history, there will be a feast unlike any we have experienced. We will be with our God clothed in our brother's righteousness, all physically restored, dining at our Father's table forever. What are some ways we should respond to the grace of God in our adoption into His family? We should do so in worship, in joyful obedience to God's will, in humble repentance and confession as beloved sons and daughters, with a heart for the mission to proclaim the gospel to all the nations, in loving fellowship with all believers. In this session, we have seen one of the clearest pictures of grace between two humans in the Bible, but we need to be careful to see ourselves properly in this story. Now, with respect to God, we are never David and always Mephibosheth, receiving his kindness from a position of desperation and weakness. Those spiritually crippled men and women, God has extended kindness and grace to us. He sent his son to redeem us from the curse and bring us under his blessing forever. Only after seeing ourselves through the lens of Mephibosheth can we find ourselves in a place to imitate David with others, to extend God's kindness and show others the mercy, love, and grace of our King. Who needs this kindness from you? We live in a world starving for kindness. May we be a people who are eager and willing to extend freely the grace that has been lavished upon us in Christ. Because we have received God's kindness in salvation through Jesus, we extend kindness to others so that they may see the greater kindness of God and become part of His family. Here are some ways for you to apply God's Word to your life this week. 
What does God's grace and adoption through faith in Jesus spur you on to do? How can your church serve those who feel useless or who struggle with physical challenges? What acts of kindness will you perform this week to point others to God's greater act of kindness in sending Jesus to save sinners? Listen to this quote. This story spurs us on to deeds of unreserved kindness, for it reflects what Jesus has done for us. He is our Savior, at whose table we partake of His sacrificial gift of bread and wine. Please pray with me. Father, thank You for the grace of adoption by which we are made members of Your family through the work of Your Son, King Jesus. May we extend grace to the helpless, just as You extended grace to help us. Keep us in the joy of our salvation and zealous for good works through the Holy Spirit's energizing presence as we seek to love those inside the household of God as well as those who are still outsiders. Amen.